Welcome everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at BurnOrangeNation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content, you can find Kyle and myself. Feel free to connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter. You can follow us on Facebook, the Longhorn Republic Podcast, where we do our post-game live stream. We had a couple of you on there on Saturday, which was a good time. I think Kyle and I both enjoyed it. I hope you did as well. You can also shoot us an email, longhornrepublicpod at gmail.com. This is time of the year where we like to remind you of the Texas X's uh, 2020 Golf Tournament taking place on Saturday, September 26th. That is a game day, so they're going to get it started a little bit early, 8 a.m. with a shotgun style going on. Again, we want to make sure we can get you out of there at, before kickoff at 2.30 against Texas Tech at the Wildcat Golf Course. Uh, you can find more information uh, about the tournament and sponsorship at TexasXs.com. But just some highlights, breakfast, lunch, some snacks, and some libations will all be part of of the day for you will also be some raffles like any good uh tournament including a golf package to attend the 2020 houston open and two tickets to attend the 2021 texas exit scholarship dinner with marquee speaker earl campbell players will also have gifts and swag bags as a part of it uh, so to register for this go to texasx.com you can also if you're uh not local to houston like i am you can go to texasx.com to try to get in on that raffle maybe you'll get to go to dinner with earl campbell which would be nice for all of us my name is gerald goodridge i'm your host this week like i am every week and i'm joined by the kai money fan club president kyle carpenter kyle how are you Oh, I want to talk all about Kai Money. This is, you know, we had our our game in depth podcast. This will be our Thursday Kai Money based podcast. No, no, no. I'm sure we will mention him many times throughout the season. Um, the the perfect uh, perfect name for our era when you know Cobra Kai is is getting its own reboot, um, and, and also you know Kai Money is already a built in top. Let's say. 20 rapper name um but before we go into any specifics about a young man i need to say something to an old man and of course that's happy birthday to you happy birthday that's stevie wonder version gerald you are a much older man than kai money i don't mean to throw you under that old bus with your old bones but you're an old man and you're older today. Happiest of days to you, Gerald. One of the best human beings I've ever had the pleasure of knowing you deserve. All the well wishes you'll receive and then some. Much appreciated, Kyle. I think it's okay for me to be significantly older than a college sophomore. That's just kind of how time works in a linear sense. Uh, but time is a flat circle. We'll talk about that on our other pod where we break down weird time travel theories. I don't have a good name for it, but whatever. It's fine. So thank you, Kyle. I really appreciate that. You got it, my friend. We don't have a game week this week. Texas gets, I would be really honest with you, Kyle. It feels like the Big 12 was trying to set up Texas and OU favorably with their schedule. Now, it's a smart move because when you look at who moves the needle, as much as we love our friends over at Wide Right and Natty Light and bring on the cats and Rock Chalk Talk. It's, it's the Sooners and it's the Longhorns. So Texas gets a bye week before starting conference play against Texas Tech. And so one of the things that we're going to talk about today is what we're looking for for the rest of the season. So Tom Herman in, in one of his coaching adages is basically, you, you know, you, got, you have an idea of what your team is. 
following fall camp, but you don't really know what your team is until after you get a game under your belt. And so we've done previews, we've done uh, breakdowns of all of that, but now that we've seen the team on the field, we know what they are. We know what they are, and we know the questions that we have. So we're going to go for a little bit and just talk about what are some areas or storylines that we want to watch this year. So we'll break that down. We'll do some burnt orange lenses, which uh, gets you kind of a whip around of the country of the things that are important to us as Longhorn fans. And then the segment that just won't die, the artist formerly known as Godzilla Tron slash <laughs> the big screen in the South End Zone. We'll close it out with that. But let's start with the top three storylines. Texas had a successful opening game. Most successful opening game, Tom Herman's history. I'll just go ahead and say it. Like It's either last year or this year because the first two definitely sucked. But that's, again, <laughs> we're not here to talk about Maryland, the name, the team who shall not be named. But we got to look at Texas. And, and they won by... Record numbers, tied a record under Tom Herman. They set offensive records. The defense held them to three points. There is a ton, a ton, a ton of positive things to take away. And if you missed our recap of the game, you can go back and listen to our Tuesday show. But we talked at length about a lot of the positive things. We also kind of hinted at some some things that we want to keep an eye on as the season progressed. Because as much as a 56-point win is something to be celebrated, UTEP's not the level of competition they're going to see in a few weeks. So... As we think about spinning things forward through a short nine-game conference schedule where Texas has stated their goal is to win a championship, what are the things that you have your eye on? What's the first thing that you want to see and look for as Texas takes the field against Texas Tech? Well, um, I think this storyline is more for the entirety of the season, but sure, it starts with their first, I guess, real test. I I will point out that... um, Houston Baptist, which also had some sterns on it, Caden's brother or brothers both, I believe, play for the the Sun Belt, um, Fun Belt favorites. Uh, again, no, 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 the bottom of the Sun Belt. But still, um, they gave Texas Tech everything that they could handle. So I'll just leave it at that, save some of that for the preview, and hopefully um, Tech will look a little better. But this this goes for that game if it is a test, and it also goes for all of the close games going forward. It's the fourth quarter. It's third and eight. Sam Ellinger is dropping back. You got four receiving options out there. Unfortunately, little Jordan Humphrey is not walking through that door. Colin Johnson is not even walking through that door. And definitely Devin DuVernay is not walking through that door. So in that crunch time, who is the guy who Sam's eyes look to first? It's great to have a deep receiving core. Have I think we had 38 guys catch passes in the first game. Um, it's hyperbole, obviously, but we had double digits it's great to have that many options even with one of your best receivers hurt it's great to have you know your quarterback to throw a touchdown to five different players your starting quarterback it's great to have um that you know socialist view of your receiving core but who's the guy at times it could have been andrew beck for for ellinger on third down at the tight end so i'm not ruling out the tight end position uh either because i think we had strong showings from probably three or four even tight ends because you know epps had a a catch slash run um in there but Librock made some plays including a, a, a absolutely a fumble that shouldn't have had that he, he stole um Cade Brewer looked to really be a target um Sam may answer that question by looking at him instead of Josh Moore uh when both were wide open and, and him a little less but who's that guy going to be I think there's a chance it could be Brewer it could be um Tarek Black it could be um 
Josh Moore, I, I'm not really sure. I don't know that we have the answer right now to that. It could be Jake Smith out of that slot position. But who will be the guy when it comes down, you have to get the catch right now. He needs to beat his man on the route. Sam needs to know that he's going to catch it when he puts it near his hands, and he's going to know that he's going to be where he he expects him to be. Who's that guy for the Longhorns? Um, because I think having that security blanket is the hallmark of every good passing attack. Yeah, and, and that one I don't have a ton of insight on, Kyle, because I think Josh Moore is a guy who I think – is just a really not just, but he's he's like he's got a slot receiver skill set in the body of a possession receiver, which is not a bad thing because he's a massive target, but he's super slick and quick and can kind of find space underneath. So I don't feel like he's the guy because it's going to be a contested catch, right? So like Black is a guy who's got a bit more of a body on him. I like what Marcus Washington brings to the table. Mm from a size standpoint, and I think getting him more involved in the passing game from a possession receiver. But I think when you're looking at who are your dudes, I mean, Josh Moore and, and Tarek Black are probably the two that you really want to keep an eye on as, as the passing game progresses. So the, the keeping on the offensive side of the ball, I think the thing for me is do the running back separate? Tom Herman has said time and time again that we can win with any of the three guys we have. And that's why they had a heavier distribution of pass to run because they know what they have at running back but against UTEP they're still trying to figure out what they had against wide at wide receiver and so do any of these guys separate there's a lot of talk that uh, in camp that Roshan Johnson kind of overtaken Keontae Ingram uh for the number one spot and I believe Roshan trotted out there first on Saturday which again it doesn't really matter when you're rotating guys so I think for me like Texas was able to last year kind of play the hot hand which is fine and it's good and if they continue to do that and that's the way that they go great but I I do think in the big 12 as much as it is an offensive wide open high scoring league you want to have a guy who you can turn to to say hey I need three yards it's it's and if it's a bubble screen great but you also want to have a guy where you can hand the ball off in a tight situation and so who's the who's the running back that's going to separate is it I think Keontae Ingram showed a lot of what we hope to see from him last year. He looked both explosive and powerful in that game. I think Roshan Johnson continued to show why he's one of just the best pure athletes on the team where he can kind of take the ball and play wherever. Bijan got going late. Most of his average is floated by 129-yard rush. But but who's going to be the guy in the backfield? And and what are the multiple looks that they have with this running back group? Yeah, and I I said it in the offseason, and we didn't see it, of course, against UTEP, but I will be curious if at any point there are two guys. If if Roshan and Keontae are both going, do they go with a two back set and and you know one in pass protection, one going out in the flats, or or both coming out of the flats? I mean, it, it, it will be interesting to see how they use them best. But I agree with you that same thing. Like thinking that presser, we have to get a yard scenario. Who's the guy on the goal line or on a fourth down or on a third down that you're going? Maybe it's maybe it's Sam. But I I, I like Roshan just the way he ran in the first week. I think Keontae Ingram um, has a lot of it, and and he showed some of the like not worrying about his knee um, and just decisiveness down downhill running that we hope to see. So again, this will play out over the weeks. We'll see. Um, I, obviously, we like the talent of Bijan, but I just feel like you have two seasoned guys right there um, who who probably right now, if if that handoff had to happen this week, I, I wonder if it would be one of them. And I almost wonder if it wouldn't be Roshan, who was the listed starter in week one. Yeah, so we'll, we'll see how that shakes out. And I think, uh, again, 
this is not like quarterbacks where if you have two, you don't have one. If you've got three running backs, you've got three running backs. So, all right, I'm going to go with my next one. Um, I, I do think that that after week one, we have maybe we have more questions than answers here. I don't know. But the, the thing that I'm curious about is who our best group of linebackers are. And maybe, again, this this depends on on the down and distance. It depends on who's who's matches up well. Again, you have a guy like we talked about, Court Jockas, coming in against a team that wants to run the ball like he did against Utah. I don't know that he's going to be our listed starter. He started over Jawan Mitchell against Utah, against uh, Texas Tech, where Alan Bowman, you know, threw, I think, 50 times in, in the opener, right? I, I don't know that that's necessarily how you use his skills best right but i am curious what that will look like i think um y- you know i think we we have kind of a listed depth chart with with Jawan mitchell as the starter at middle linebacker with demarvian overshin kind of it overshone at that that weak side linebacker um right behind them you have you know some combination of of dele like i said court jockers and david benda um but you know we, we saw um we saw some other players get in there because it was UTEP and, and, and looked pretty good. Um, Dele was held out. Uh, I think this is potentially where um, maybe that BJ Foster, I've been talking about him at linebacker since the offseason. There's some whispers that that might have been why he didn't get bumped up the depth chart as there was coaches who were interested in him making that move as well as um, – Tyler Owens as well. And neither of them were particularly interested in making that move. I loved one of my favorite um, things this week was uh, DeMarvian Overshone tweeted out like a LeBron smiling gif and said, you know, kind of liking this linebacker thing. He led the team in tackles for loss in his first week. Um, I actually was surprised. He seemed better as a converted secondary member and outstanding safety um, in high school against the run. He, there was a couple times in the past that I was like, what are you doing? That should be your, your bread and butter. But again, I think that was the scheme having them geared towards the run. But um, you know, if it's going to be overshown and then who the other guy is, because I think right now he's, he's, he's the lock. So um, I'm just curious what that linebacker, this is nothing new. If you've listened to this podcast, I, I apologize for being a broken record, but that's the thing I've been interested in since January. The thing we've talked about since March, we had a COVID. And so we probably talked about it a lot more than y'all wanted to hear. But if you haven't picked it up by now, linebacker, you should all be watching the linebackers. Yeah, the the linebacking group, again, is like there's talent. And I think I said it in our preview podcast, our defensive preview podcast, that like we know what the ceiling of this group can be because like there's a ton, a ton, a ton of talent. But like, what's the floor? Like, where are we starting from? And who are going to be the, the the two guys that you trot out there? And I think some of it, like, I think you see a different personnel package against TCU than you do against OU, where you have Jawan Mitchell and, and Overshone out there, where maybe Jayquist gets the the start at middle from uh, against a team like TCU, where they're going to try to run the ball and be a little more slower paced, especially with the quarterback that TCU's trotting out there. But that's not the TCU podcast. We'll talk <laughs> about that when it's TCU week. But why, like... And we saw it against UTEP. UTEP found a little success running kind of a slant RPO scheme where, and this was again was schematic where I think the defense was saying, hey, we're going to stop the run. Uh, a little pick your poison, right? We'll stop the run and we'll give you four yards, five yards on a slant. But we'll keep the ball in front of us and make a sure tackle. So that was that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, I'm going to go back to the offensive side of the ball. And... The right side of the offensive line is something that I want to like. What is we know who the top three guys are, right? Cosme, Angulao, Kerstetter, one, two, three. We know that. But right guard, right tackle, 
Um, I I don't want to say concerned, but I still am not confident with that right side of the line. I, I mean, uh, Okafor got like pushed back by UTEP defensive lineman on a couple of plays early on. Like, it's just and Christian Jones is is a really talented guy, but Big Twelve ain't no joke when it comes to pass rush. And he's only got one Big 12 start under his belt. And so, like, that right side of the line coming together and congealing and really finding their rhythm, to me, is something to watch because no matter how good your quarterback is, no matter how good your offensive coordinator is, if a defensive lineman is in your quarterback's face half a second after the snap, you're not going to be able to create any rhythm. Or if you can't find any running room, if you can't get the obligatory three yards – on a running play, then you become one-dimensional and it gets really easy for the defense to dial up their scheme. So that right side of the offensive line for me is something that I'm really curious about to see how it shakes out for the rest of the season. Yeah, I mean, I think, again, that's one that that you and I both looked at and we talked in our preseason preview and we talked about linebacker and we talked about the right side of our offensive line. Obviously, we didn't get all of the answers in week one. We saw the first um, equation in that formula, right? Um, I, I think you talked about it in our immediate reaction is if, if there are you know potential players who can fill in and be the new, um, maybe not the new answer, but offer a different equation, right? It's, it's offensive line is kind of alchemy, right? You're trying to blend together five different guys that they're, aren't necessarily just the five best. You hope that they are your five best, but work together in the way that five players play as a unit at, at the best level. Um, and so with that means shifting a guy from tackle to guard or, or, or vice versa or moving someone up um, because you've moved your, your guard out to tackle and you have a second string guard or whatever it is, however you're doing that shifting, there could be a chance that we see some new names um, when we line up against Texas tech. So uh, that that's a key area and a key storyline. And I couldn't agree with you more. So for my next one, or my final one, I guess, because I think we're doing three each, um, I was going to start with this one as a segue because you said, um, you know, the, that we won't be necessarily playing the the strength of opponent that we had in week one against UTEP. But that's my storyline. What is the strength of the Big 12, right? I mean, it's um, – the Big 12 did not have a good first week. Um, I jokingly tweeted at the – point it was accurate that the uh, big 12 had lost three to covid this week and two to the Sun Belt. well they went ahead and went oh and three against the Sun Belt this week and they almost lost uh to their their fourth uh to an fcs opponent um as texas tech struggled every single bit that you could imagine they were basically a failed two-point conversion away from losing to a houston baptist team that started their program in 2013 and has won one game in two one total game uh, in each of, of two of the last three seasons, I think. So, I mean, not a not an even a, a good FCS team um, that you're seeing. So, I, I just I wonder, right? Because here's 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 your winners of Week One: Oklahoma, who we knew was going to be good, played an FCS team and and did what you should do, even with a lot of guys out for COVID and other reasons. Um, Texas, who looked every bit like a top five team um, against the UTEP team. And then West Virginia, who looked good against, again, a team that was would have lost by 30 points to UTEP, at least. Um, a really, really bad Eastern Kentucky team that should just never, ever enter the state of West Virginia. I think they lost 100-0 to Marshall and like 80-0 um, to against West Virginia. So West Virginia did what they needed to do against a really, really bad team um, as well. Uh, so you have three good teams. You didn't see Baylor. 
Um, they, I think I've heard that they were trying to schedule a U of H, so that'll be a good test to see how good they might be. Um, you didn't see Oklahoma State because uh, Tulsa had some issues and had to postpone that game. Um, so, I mean, basically you're waiting, and TCU also um, couldn't play, and then that's probably indicative of where they are. We knew who would be good, the upper class of the Big 12 this year. We knew it's Texas OU and Oklahoma State. That was what everyone said in the preseason. What that middle class looks like, because Kansas, I mean, they had every reason to be motivated against the Chanticleers who hit a pinata of a Jayhawk in their locker room. There was an F Serie Sunbelt team in Coastal Carolina who said, they can't hang with us. They can't be on the same field as us, was caught on a mic on Fox, again, talking about a Big 12 team. And they proved it. The fun belt, 3-0. Iowa State, who was supposed to potentially be uh, pushing Oklahoma State for the third best team. All of these teams look bad. Now, you can take that Matt Campbell just doesn't believe in out-of-conference or something and is, like, historically horrendous at those games. But I'm going to go ahead and say that the middle class, the combination of Baylor, Iowa State, um, I don't even know who else. West Virginia, I guess. Those three teams as your next best three after the top three uh, is looking incredibly weak at this point. Um, And the bottom just looks garbage. I mean, we'll we'll see. We'll see what happens. But if Texas has a stinker against any of these teams, unless they show something drastically different than they did in week one, it will be shocking and will also speak volumes to Texas not being prepared because it looks like talent-wise, as we've always said, Texas should be so superior, and in week one, they actually looked it. Yeah, and, you know, we haven't seen Oklahoma State yet. Granted, I think they probably had uh, an advantageous miss on their part because, well, then they saw teams get embarrassed by inferior teams, so hopefully uh, they come out with their stuff together because uh, Tulsa's not as good as them, but they could put something together and try to win a game. But I, I – like. The middle class in the Big 12, I think, is vanishing, and it's really going to become a very polarized – because Texas and OU are not slowing down when it comes to recruiting, and I think Texas is finally at a point where it's going to compete with OU on the football field. So I think the the middle class in the Big 12 is shrinking very rapidly. So I'll take it back to the, the Longhorns, and something that I mentioned briefly on the Monday show, on the Tuesday show, something I mentioned briefly on the Tuesday show that I was – curious about and wanted to see what it would look like later on is getting pressure on the quarterback. So against a vastly, I'll say it vastly inferior UTEP offensive line, Texas managed just two sacks and two quarterback hurries. Joseph Osai had one hurry. Moro Ojomo had the other. And then we all talked about uh, Lil Al <laughs> Collins and Marcus Tillman coming up with sacks late in the game against the the twos. So one of the issues last year was the inability to pressure quarterbacks. It's part of the reason why I think the secondary struggle is because, well, you give a quarterback, I don't know, eight, nine seconds to pass the ball. They're going to find somebody open. That's just how football works. You give a quarterback long enough and a receiver long enough, there's going to be space. That's it. So, if Texas can't really improve that pa- that pass rush, uh, it's going to be a long-ish season for the defense. And I think the offense is equipped to run with anybody, but I would much rather the offense only have to score 45 points than 59 points every week. I think those types of games, one, will give me heart palpitations, but two, like 
you can't expect Sam Ellinger to go for 405 touchdowns every week. Texas's path to success is not 50 attempts from Sam Ellinger. Um, it worked once, maybe against LSU, but they still lost that game, right? Texas's path to success is like a 35-ish attempt game from Sam Ellinger where he can complete 60 to 70% of those, right? Like that's, that's Texas's path to success. So having to have Sam run a hundred plays on, on offense is just a bit much. So the ability to get the offensive off schedule by pressuring the quarterback, by getting in the backfield uh, is going to be something that I hope to see shift against Texas Tech. I think you're absolutely right, right? I, th- I think that you should see, you should really see a defense open up the playbook a little bit, right? You should see a couple more blitzes. You should see Tamarvian Overshone getting a chance to be unleashed and go downhill. You should see some of UT's really elite athletic linebackers. That that's the area um, we, we've been more sure about. Actually, is that they have athleticism at that linebacker spot. You should see some of those guys unleashed to go downhill. You should see Osai and a few more stunt positions freeing him up to get you know a bull rush. You should see a couple more stunts, a couple more things. Like I expect that you will see that against Tech um, if they feel confident that they can go Tech and then TCU without having to, you know, unleash the Kraken uh, per se and then really do OU, you know, give them something special that they weren't ready for. That's even better. I'd love to see that. But let's not take any games for granted, right? Let's start teaching those habits of of putting quarterbacks on the ground now, right? Let's do that immediately. Um, You know, I I think Big Al Collins getting, or I'm sorry, Lil Al, as his family refers to him, um, getting, you know, a sack a game. Uh, for 13 sacks this year is is great. We could do that. That that's a good trend. That'll that'll bode well. But you're right. I do want to see. Um, I want 12. You know, sacks, quarterback hurries, or you know, just pressures in a given game. Right. I want double digits in that that combination of the amount of times that a guy is dropping back and something is happening in his face, whether it's altering his throw or it's putting him on the turf. So I think you're right. I think that's one of the biggest keys to watch uh, offense or defense for the rest in, in the success of the season. And I think for me, why it's, why it's not concerning, but something that I want to keep an eye on is because I think against UTEP, you shouldn't need to call stunts and blitzes to be able to pressure that quarterback. Like you give me, you give me Snacks Coburn and whoever the center is at UTEP, and I take Snacks Coburn 11 times out of 10. So, like, it's just that for me, if, athlete to athlete that should have been able to pressure the quarterback, but that's a whole nother conversation. We, we got to see, again, who Texas is now that we've seen them on the field. So, Kyle, when we look at first impression, I never get a second chance to make a good first impression. Who gave you the best first impression and got your hopes pretty high for the rest of the season? I mean, we, we, we talked about the cut from Bijan. We talked about Alfred Collins getting the the sack. We talked in our game review about both Schooler and Black looking you know great at receiver. We had two new uh, coordinators, and, and all of those people got a chance to, to show what they can do over shown at linebacker. But I think the obvious answer here, NFL scouts are a buzz. Twitter was a Twitter um, was alive. Uh, I think we all know the answer when you're in your two minute drill. Who is the money shot? 
I think the very obvious answer of who the best first impression is is Kai Money, Gerald. Come on. This guy, no one knew who he was. Now he's the biggest BMOC, the biggest man on campus. Surefire hands. Looked impeccable. Ran the right routes. Caught the touchdown. I have never seen a UT sideline that jacked as when Money got his touchdown. Former, you know, guys who are now uh, alums and in the NFL were getting hyped about it. Kobe Boyce was going nuts. A guy who's opting out this season but is still very much a part of the team. This was the moment that everyone will most remember from the UTEP game. Okay, Sam, a lot of yards, cool touchdowns, set records in one half. Great, but you know how we did that? By looking at Kai Money. Money in the bank. With Winnington and Smith healthy, I don't think we see Kai Money again for the rest of the season. But that's, again, a conversation <laughs> for another day. Uh, best first impression for me is probably D. Overshone at linebacker, which is kind of a roundabout. That's a very Kyle way to go about answering this question is finding a loophole. D. Overshone at linebacker <laughs> is probably the best first impression because uh, he looked re- like he looked like it was a pretty seamless transition. Now, there are some things to, to talk about pass, pro- pass coverage and from a linebacker spot, but... Again, I think the defense was choosing to let them pass uh, to shut down the run because that's really what UTEP wants to do to create momentum is get the ball in the hands of their best player, which is their running back. So I think uh, D. Overshown playing linebacker to me was a guy who I think has a really high ceiling and can do a lot for Texas uh, as the season progresses. If you want my serious answer, it's Mike Yersich. The way he ran 12 personnel, the way he got, you know, um, multiple receivers in, the way he, he used pace and tempo and, and the play action and the RPO and, and made Sam look like, you know, believe it or not, there were people who wondered if Sam Ellinger could succeed in air raid offense when we were um, looking at, you know, Graham Harrell. They said, I, I don't know if Sam has those tools. You saw it. You saw that in any scheme, there were some air raid concepts, but in any scheme, Sam Ellinger looked good in a Yursich offense, and I think that bodes really well. So I, I my serious answer, of course, is that I'm excited um, for for you know, weeks two through ten of Mike Yursich scheming against Big 12 offenses and, and showing why he's probably you know one of the short list of best coordinators in the country. Absolutely love it. All right, so this week uh, on Burnt Orange Lenses, we're going to go go deep on uh, some, some professional horns because we haven't checked in on a couple and we got NFL back. But first, just wanted to put the, uh, I guess, future-looking Burnt Orange Lens. Texas soccer has their second match after a tough loss to Kansas. Uh, they take on TCU tomorrow in Fort Worth, so it's not a free game that you can go to uh, in Austin. But if you're in Fort Worth, I don't know, maybe it's free or cheap there. Go check them out. Um, but Texas soccer will be taking on TCU looking for their first win. Um, but moving into the, the alumni of the program, the Horns in the NFL. I mean, this is a robust list for, for a group that um, basically had some issues. You know, people in the past have, have wondered why we weren't getting players drafted as well as we should have and some of those things. There is a long, long list, as should be, of Longhorns playing in the NFL and playing significant uh, snaps and making big contributions for their team. So let's start right at the top. Breaking in a new stadium, SoFi Stadium, the Los Angeles Rams look to none other than our boy representing shirts, Cibolo Universal City Independent School District, Centex, stand up, our dude, Malcolm Brown, 18 carries, 78 yards, and a touchdown for the L in Malcolm, Malcolm Brown, double L, I should say, two L's, Malcolm Brown. What'd you think? I mean, the... 
I think the defense he was playing gave him a lot of extra room, but I think um, Malcolm Brown getting getting the getting the volume to get um, to get there is impressive. And again, I always love seeing. Uh, he's a guy that I think gets overlooked as a low key guy who was really impactful at Texas, and so I think seeing him find success at the next level makes me happy. So another guy who who was maybe overlooked at uh, what he did at Texas, at least by NFL scouts, a guy who um, is going to make money. I love that uh, one of the the former uh, UT football players was looking at Malcolm Roach, who was signed as a free agent, and and kind of his uh, two tackle performance, one big tackle for a loss, and just looked uh, as a first game NFL rookie like he belonged there. Um, said he's going to get paid because he's not on the lengthy rookie contract. So if the saints want to keep him, if he has a Puna Ford type year, it means they're going to have to pay him. So that's, I hadn't really thought about that, but that's big for, for our, our dude, Malcolm Roach, one of the, one of the just hearts of the team uh, in years past. And one of our favorite longhorns. And then Gerald for you, this is the draft pick that you were excited about because it's a longhorn going to your NFL team. And I don't know that you could have had a better debut than Brandon Jones had a guy who was flying all over the field for 10 tackles. Yeah. I mean, he, he played really, really well. I mean, the, the Patriots still beat the crap out of my dolphins, which is again, just a thing that I've lived with for 30 plus years now. But uh, yeah, I mean, he looked good. He played really well and, and he looked really great in the, uh, the Miami dolphins road uniforms. <laughs> those, those, you know, I texted you. I don't watch a ton of NFL, admittedly, but I, I, I texted you because I had that on in the background, and they're just so clean. They might be the best NFL uniform. Maybe I'm biased by your uh, slow subliminal messaging, but they did look, they looked classy AF. Um, also in that game, though, there was an INT for a Longhorn because DBU um, on the other side of the ball, Adrian Phillips, a pickup for the Patriots, a guy who, um, you know, they was assigning. Well, it's one of those Belichick. Yeah, he was good. Team let him go. Free agent. Let's see what he does. Interception in his first game. Adrian Phillips. Uh, Got to be excited for him. And then on the other side, we had Quandre Diggs. Now with the Seattle Seahawks, Longhorns of the Northwest, getting an INT with his first game up there. So good things for DBU. Absolutely. I mean, Holton Hill chipped in with seven tackles in, in his game. And then Deshaun Elliott getting his first start with your Baltimore Ravens. Uh, filling in for Earl Thomas, who got in a fist fight uh, <laughs> in practice, among other things. Finished with five tackles. Yeah, five tackles and one of the biggest hits of the week. I, I again, don't watch the ESPN Sunday count, whatever the, the show where they ooh and ah and, and you got him, man, whatever the thing they're shouting with big hits this year. Um, what Chris Berman, years of old, would, would narrate it, but it would have been one of those. It, tweet at me. Let me know if he was one of those, but had an enormous hit on Browns running back Kareem Hunt and all women in America cheered. Um, also for the Ravens in that game, Devin DuVernay had his first career catch, uh, one catch, 14 yards. Also, though, had two kick returns um, for 64 yards, including a nice 38-yarder to give them good field position. They didn't really need it. They beat the tar out of the Browns and Baker Mayfield. But, uh, you know, DuVernay getting multiple positions and chances to shine I like to see that seems to be better at kick returning in the NFL than he ever was in college maybe that's coaching um but <laughs> I'll leave it there his his uh his fellow freshman in the NFL Colin Johnson also had one catch edged him out with 16 yards but I think the more impressive uh feat for Kojo was the victory formation backflip Gerald one to ten how'd you grade the backflip uh the backflip is always from Colin at least a solid eight and yeah. I this just highlights 
how I think it's ridiculous that the NCAA has like rules against celebration while the professionals get to do whatever they want. Where I feel like you should let the college kids celebrate and make the professionals like not be jerks. I agree, right? If if uh, if if they're already making millions, they have multiple reasons to celebrate. They don't need to do it on the field. Let the young kids feel the energy and flip all they want. Um, now, Connor Williams had the task of coming back from injury last year and and really solidifying uh, his starting spot for the Cowboys and just a, a little task of of lining up against. I don't think it's controversial to say the best player in the NFL, Aaron Donald, um, certainly the best defensive player. I think you could very much argue. And again, this is as a, a fan of the reigning NFL being the quarterback, Lamar Jackson. I think Aaron Donald is the most valuable, most significant and best player in the NFL. So Connor Williams is lined up against him multiple times in the regular season and playoffs. And up to this point had never um, allowed a sack. He did get ragdolled once by Aaron Donald, who just threw him on the ground. But again, Donald did that to their center, to their, rookie from Texas Tech who had some snaps in there who did it to a very good Zach Martin at the other guard position um who you know was an all pro player so he just does that to people i think Connor Williams ultimately had a really good um game and and again is it's an unenviable task but uh we're always rooting for him i thought he was he was pretty solid there and then just uh final news is that for the monday night game pj Locke, who we talked about a little bit was on the um practice squad but had a good chance to get activated was in fact activated for that game yeah so connor williams the internet is making a lot of him getting tossed which I mean, it's, it's not great on video, but uh, yeah. And then we're glad to see PJ Locke get activated. That guy was a hard worker, a good character guy. So love to see him uh, getting his call up. And just a quick uh, count against Saints. Now I have three with Malcolm Brown, Lil Jordan Humphrey, and Malcolm Roach. Um, obviously the Seahawks with Dixon, Diggs, and Puna at three. Um, and then uh, we know the Ravens, although they don't have Earl Thomas at four anymore, still have Devin DuVernay, Deshaun Elliott, and Justin Tucker to give them three. But the one you may not realize with P.J. Locke being activated is if you want an NFL Longhorn rooting interest, there are three Longhorns also on those Denver Broncos with Calvin Anderson uh, and Andrew Beck on that team. So uh, Longhorns everywhere, which is a good thing. Where Longhorns are not, Gerald, is left in the NBA bubble the Houston Rockets went out to the Los Angeles Lakers again Avery Bradley opting out of the playoffs for the Lakers so that means there are no longer any Longhorns left in the NBA playoffs or in the NBA bubble so Tucker takes his game and his 450 pairs of shoes home hate to see it you hate to see it uh it, it is it very much very much is um secure that bag the one thing i wanted to throw in here gerald is that we don't cover it enough we don't i'll be honest um but there's also a WNBA season going on and ariel atkins has started uh 22 uh all 22 games this season for the reigning WNBA champions and she's averaging a career high 15 points a game to go with three rebounds two and a half assists uh and almost two steals so just Playing really, really well. Joyner Holmes also has been getting a little bit more uh, PT as well for the Seattle Storm where she was drafted. So we'll have to keep an eye on the WNBA with our burn orange lenses. All right, Gerald. So let's let's wrap it up with the Godzilla Tron. Um, We know that a game happened in, in DKR. We don't know what that thing is called. I thought we would have got an answer as they dedicated the field, also dedicating it to some donor, the big giant board. But for now, we're still calling it the artist formerly known as the Godzilla Tron. And we talk about what we watched on our oversized giant, enormous living room screens. Gerald, what are you watching? So, um, 
Got a free weekend of Madden, and that's usually about enough for me each year because Madden is terrible. Uh, bring back NCAA. So I played a little bit of Madden. Still kind of sucks. Always kind of sucks, <laughs> and whatever, it's fine. Bring back the NCAA games. Uh, and then I also um, got the ability to watch Mulan over the weekend, the 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 uh, the, Dis- the Disney live-action reimagining of the story. And I... I'm just going to go and say that was not a good movie. I did not enjoy it. Um, the There were some cool action sequences in it, but then there were also an equal number of weird and kind of off-putting action sequences. And it just didn't really work for me. But, again, I'm glad to see other stories being told and kind of taking and doing something different with these live-action remakes is something that I think is okay. But this one just did not hit. Interesting to know. I, I I may still watch it just to just to see, but I, I it certainly isn't going to get rushed uh, up my Disney Plus list. Um, yeah, I, I I would love to have an NCAA game right now, Madden, whatever, take it or leave it. But you know, just the recruiting, the, how they would introduce the transfer portal, the college football playoffs would be interesting. Um, please, please bring that back. In the meantime, however, I want to talk about a game not being available. Gerald, I had gotten emotionally invested um, in Red Dead Redemption 2. My my favorite like game probably of all time up to that point was Red Dead Redemption, the original. And I, and I really was skeptical. I knew people lauded it and it was great. And I knew it would be a great game. But I was like, is it going to be better? Because I felt emotional things in the first one. I really had attachment to characters and, and I just wasn't, wasn't sure. Well, I was wrong, Gerald. It, it, it's an incredible game. One of the single simple best games I've ever played. Um, and I, and I, I found out a spoiler pretty early on about the main character, and I won't share it here. Let's just say there comes a point in the storyline where you no longer get to play as the main character. Um, so I avoided it because it's an open-world game for as long as I could. Like, I just did every side quest and immersed myself. I probably have played some 50-odd hours in this game, but I haven't finished it. Um, because I really didn't want to get to the point where that happens. I was just before it. And so I finally made a decision the other day. I was going to go ahead and do it. I was emotionally ready. Even in these dark quarantine COVID times, I was ready to feel things, to go through it and, and be immersed. And anyone who's played it um, knows what I'm probably talking about. But I went to do that, and I realized that Xbox had removed Red Dead Redemption 2 after only a three-month run on Xbox Game Pass. Um, and I was a little bit miffed. Like, again, it's on me. I took a couple of weeks off, like or probably two or three weeks from playing it just cause I, I wasn't ready. Um, but I, I was, I, I don't know. Maybe I just missed it where that was advertised that that was a thing, but it's a long game with so much to do emerge. If you could put a hundred hours easy in that game and maybe they assume people during the quarantine just have all, uh, the time in the world. Um, but I, didn't get to finish it, and so I guess I will buy it because I should support them. They made a nice product. I, I should buy it rather than being cheap and playing it when it was free, um, but I haven't finished it yet, and so just a quick caveat. What I did, because I was so miffed, I, I immediately said, I'm not playing any more Xbox, so I downloaded 1995 hit Command & Conquer Red Alert. So, Gerald, I've been playing some some Soviet campaign on Red Alert. Did you ever play that as a kid? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you strike me as a land party kind of guy. Never played it, never played it land party, <laughs> Kyle. Uh, but I did play it online once with my parents' dial-up. And on that note, that's all we got for you this week. Kyle, where can the folks find you on the internet? 
Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Kyle Carbon. You can also follow the Texas pregamer at Texas pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at GH Gooder Troll Show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. You can also catch me not taking Kyle's grief anywhere else for the rest of my life. <laughs> you can follow us on Facebook where we'll be doing our Facebook live post game uh, following the next game against Texas Tech. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook them. Hook em. Hook em.